I have no idea. Dad Bod History goes to the movies. Um, I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we can do that. All right. So, um, yeah, we'll start with that. And then do you just want to get right into it or you want to get right into it? Because I've, I've been about... having this conversation in my head all day. Alright folks, welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History, also known as Dad Bod Goes to the Movies. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a, a movie that came out in 2016, it's called 13th, in regards to uh, the 13th Amendment and its effect on American history, in particular its effect on African Americans throughout uh, American history after the Civil War. So Eric and I both watched this movie and um, it, uh, I don't know about okay, you Eric, so but for I, me it, it kind of... I pulled it up. And on Netflix. Yeah, we both watched it on Netflix. And I, and I looked at it, and I'm like, it said resume, four minutes remaining. I'm like, have I seen this? Uh-huh. And I started it, and I'm like, I don't think I've seen this. Who's on my Netflix okay. account? And then as it went on, I'm like, no, no, I've seen this. So I watched it a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a good refresher to watch it again. Yeah, and for me, a, a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, Antoine, he uh, suggested I watch it. He said it was a really good movie. It kind of... It kind of came and went in 2016, and for me, I'd never heard of it before. And uh, but t- today, uh, especially with everything that's going on in regards to all the protests happening, and then the the whole issue of police brutality and how that relates to race relations in America, this movie it's almost better for 2020, I think, than it was for 2016. And in 2016, it was definitely important back then. But it was almost eerie how everything that they were talking about in some way, shape, or form related to kind of what's going on today. Yeah, yeah. It ties in really well. And um, I think, I think, you know, watching it through a different lens when I watched it before, you know, I watched it before and I found it interesting. But some of that stuff didn't really uh, click with me in terms of the 13th Amendment having this... um, this kind of, I don't know, additional thing to it. Um, so it was um, it was refreshing. I'd say this is a well-made film, mm-hmm. um, and it's very compelling. Absolutely, yeah. But I do have an issue with its its overall thesis. Okay. Um, well, I guess we before get we get into, into that, let's get into the premise. And then yeah. we can kind of discuss what we liked and what we didn't like. And, and essentially the premise um, is that in 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed. And the 13th Amendment is the amendment that officially constitutionally ended slavery in America. Specifically, it says, um, slavery and involuntary servitude, no, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime where the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction, including so territories like Puerto Rico, Guam. Right. Um, and so that was the, the premise was that this was passed in January of 1865 and this is what abolished slavery. However, there's this, this phrase within that amendment 
Involuntary servitude and slavery are banned except as punishment for a crime whereof the party has been duly convicted. And so this is where I think uh, Anna DuVernay, who's the director and she's the one that created this this film, Anna, took Ava. that. Ava DuVernay, sorry, Ava. Yeah. took this and, and she created this film and she said, because of this clause in the 13th Amendment, um, people, and in particular white Southerners, um, disaffected from losing the Civil War and slavery ending, could use that as a loophole to create laws that would force black men in particular uh, back into slavery. Whether you called it slavery or not was was different, but in effect, they were saying that this reestablished slavery in America, or yeah, I guess never slavery. let slavery in America die. And is maybe a different way if you it. asked anybody on the street, um, should prisoners be put to work effectively mm-hmm. unpaid? Most people would be like, yeah, I got no problem with that. Sure. Um, and I, cause I think, uh, under the, the underlying idea there is you are working off the debt. And so your work is your payment on debt, right? Yeah. Um, paying your debt believe, to society. I believe, uh, incarcerated convicts, if they do work, they do get paid. It's, it's, it's like pen. It's like, Pennies it's on the definitely dollar. not minimum wage. No, which... and and so of course you know they're getting fed, they're getting housed. Again, that's that's all kind of beside the point. Mm-hmm. But so that wording, you know, I've never really taken a good close look at the Thirteenth Amendment. Um, but if I read this, it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude um, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And that, that's great. But the clause, except as punishment for a crime, so. Again, that, that premise that that clause is used to very quickly um, convict people of crimes and also pass laws that would make more things crimes so that you could get a slave force to start working again uh, mm-hmm. or prisoner force um, back in the workforce. <clears throat> and so, you know, again, this goes into, well, then you've got Jim Crow, and you get into the private pr- prison system that exists today, um, where there's a, a corporation that it's uh, a corporation that runs all these prisons, and they're privately run, and mm-hmm. uh, their stock goes up when they have more prisoners because the state pays them based on prisoner on the number of prisoners. So that's going to incentivize them to have more prisoners, mm-hmm. and kind of as the film goes on, it. it it tracks things, you know, we had Jim Crow, we had the civil rights movement. And then in the 1970s, mm-hmm. there was a push to really get tough on crime, uh, get tough With on Nixon. drugs. The same thing happened in the 80s under Reagan. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened in the 90s. And I think this was interesting because um, there's a part of the film that just felt really off. And without getting too political... It spent about two minutes really going after Trump. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was just like you could play this as an ad in the upcoming election. Um, and well, and, and it's funny because this came out before he was president. This was as he was running for president. What it came out twenty seventeen, right? Twenty sixteen. I think it came out in twenty sixteen. Is what I remember seeing, but. He was running, whether or not he was president, just president, or he was running, it right. came out right around that time. And and it's interesting because part of what you're referencing 
I think, is when they talk about the Central Park Five and how Trump put out this full-page ad, right, to bring back the death penalty to to have these five young black men executed for, was it uh, raping a, a woman in the in Central Park in the early 90s? I, I can't and then, remember. And then DNA evidence exonerated these five men, but they'd spent oh, 10, yeah, they, 12, they 14 years in jail for a crime they didn't commit. Yeah, but, they referenced his, his comments back in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, there's a portion where he's talking from one of his rallies, right? And mm-hmm. it's superimposing these images from the '60s and '50s over his his campaign campaign rhetoric, which yeah, they're unrelated. But man, it it ties it together for you to give you a really good picture. So yeah. the reason I bring that up is because uh, they get to the '90s and Bill Clinton. They have Bill Clinton, Hillary uh, being all apologetic about you know the 1994 crime bill shouldn't have passed it. They don't mention again if this was 2016, 27, not a big deal. That this was Joe Biden's bill. He he wrote this thing to be mm-hmm. tough on crime. Um, when he was still able to get through an entire sentence and paragraph uh, without saying um. Or stumbling, he wrote a crime bill that had the mandatory minimums, that had um, uh, like the three strikes and you're out, like all these things that, when we when we apply them to the kind of crimes that they're likely to find these young African American men uh, guilty of, like possession of marijuana or a small amount of of a drug, um, suddenly you can get these guys locked up for years at a time. And there's a story of uh, Khalif Khalil uh, Broward. Is mm-hmm. that right? Um, the young guy who was who was arrested, um, come back from a party. And oh gosh! They, they yeah, put him so in Rikers sad. Island, and, and he waited three years before a trial. Yeah, and before so he was even him. tried, he just sat in jail for three yeah. years, and you, you don't get bail. So he's he's rotting there. When we say rotting, um, it's a mental rot. Right, you're exposed to that mm-hmm. kind of violence and that kind of inhumanity, um, and the dehumanization that goes on, whether he between prisoners or with guards. And, yeah. and he wouldn't accept the guilty plea. And they said, "You accept the guilty plea, you get to leave." But he's like, "No, because I didn't commit this crime." And right. so and, the way it was framed is is almost they were punishing him for refusing to accept guilt for something he didn't do. Yeah, and so this is another part of kind of criminal justice that we see as being difficult is um, the whole plea bargain thing. Mm -hmm. Listen, if you plead guilty, you'll get this amount of time. But if you go to trial, it's going to be worse. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if you're not guilty, why, why take a plea bargain? Because it's, it's easier at the moment. And yeah. um, Well, and public defenders have an outrageous caseload. Yeah, you know they have hundreds of cases that they have to get through as quick as possible, so they can't put the the time, effort, and money into each individual case to serve it justice, essentially. Yeah. So but I, the prosecutors, the prosecutors, in a sense, have unlimited funds because they have the state. Yeah, they have the state supporting them. You know, and and uh, in that, I'm I, I'm. It's so frustrating that I, I, the name uh, is. Khalif Broward or something, Browning. Um, <clears throat> you know, he goes in and uh, when he finally gets out, when he finally gets exonerated, he gets home. He he can't take it. He goes to, he takes his story to the media 
um, it kind of a big deal, but you know, he can't handle, uh, mentally what he went through and he ends up taking his own life, which is just tragic. The, the prison system should never result in that kind of action. Um, and I've heard the argument that, uh, plea uh, Khalil be, Muhammad. What was that? Khalil Muhammad is his name. Muhammad. Um, Khalil Gibran Muhammad. Okay. Uh, that the plea bargain should be gotten rid of because it's misused. But the state should have to prove your guilt. Even if you plead guilty, the state still has to prove it. Mm-hmm. They have to show it. And and even if you're like, yeah, I did this and I'll show you how I did it, it, still, it should still have to go before a jury. Because the state should, if, if they're going to exercise that kind of force, they have to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you committed this crime. And the issue is... That'll take years. And so where do you put people while they're waiting for trial? Obviously, if it takes three years to get to trial and you end up in Rikers, you're, you're toast. So mm-hmm. um, there's a great miniseries on HBO, uh, The Night Of, which is I, it's basically this, this story. Um, you know, there's a, this, this guy, um, I think he's like Pakistani-American. He's upstanding citizen in college. He goes to a... A party meets a girl. She ends up dead. He doesn't know how because he was intoxicated. Um, and he ends up getting the crime pinned on him. He ends up going to Rikers Island. Ends up having to do all this stuff to keep himself alive there. Um, to go through trial. He's got this defense attorney who's just a mess and trying to... And so, you know, eventually he's exonerated. But he gets out. And he is he is a hardened criminal by the end of it because of what he experienced mm-hmm. in prison. So I think that's an important piece of this whole, this whole thing. And so, um, we kind of really got away from, from the initial stuff of the film. Um, yeah. but I think the, the point there is this, our justice system, um, incentivizes, through the private private prisons, um, through these deals, things like ALEC, which I've heard of, and there's other groups like that, um, incentivizes putting as many people in prison as possible. Yeah. And doing it efficiently and quickly. And well, it, it's, it, it destroys communities. I mean, if you can imagine, um, if for some reason you ended up going to prison, um, it doesn't. It can be for like a month. You go to prison. I mean, mm-hmm. you, how does your family recover from that? I probably lose my job. You don't get it back. Yeah. Um, um, so there's my. There's no guarantee my wife stays with me, even if it is for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, you know the. So then I might lose my kids. It's going to be a hard time for me to get a job back because I was convicted of a crime, which they make a point of is anytime you apply for a job in the movie. Yeah. Especially if it's a felony, then that kind of blacklists you from future employment. So then you're limited in in future jobs you can get. And it's a, uh, and this is as you said for me, um, who has the benefit of being a white man in America, um, even still going to prison when the justice system is set up to keep. A lot of people in prison. I think by the end they said, "What there's over two million people in prison," yeah, two and a half. which which far exceeds any other developed nation in the world. In in even when you consider um, population 
and, mm-hmm. and factor in those things. I think that was something that struck with me in this movie was that we say we are the land of the free. However, if on any given day there's two and a half million Americans sitting in prison, that's not free. And I think that's what really kind of stuck out to me is we can't make a claim for something when we are routinely locking up our own people. And that doesn't mean to excuse crime or poor behavior. That That's not it at all. But uh, when, when they were doing these, going back to kind of the beginning of the film, um, after the 13th Amendment was passed and they wanted to kind of create these laws, which eventually became known as the Jim Crow laws, to arrest young black men to keep them working on the plantations that they thought they were liberated from. Some of the laws were like vagrancy or um, failure to pay a tax um, because you wanted to be something other than a farmer or loitering. Like it was, or or what was it called? Malicious mischief, which is so vague and so broad. I'm pretty sure seventh graders would be convicted of that. Every single one of them, every single middle school in America would have to go to jail for malicious (laughs) mischief if that's an actual crime that's on the books. And what's funny is um, bringing that to modern day when I was watching um, on Twitter, a lot of these protests and people with their cell phone cameras out and, you know, kind of you can say they were antagonizing the police, but they weren't doing anything physically. They were just yelling at them. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys yelled at a police officer and he swore. And the police officer came over, knocked him down, and arrested him for cussing in public. I'm like, that, that is not a crime. Like, it, or if it is, it shouldn't be. And I think that's what gets me is that a lot of these laws were specifically set up to affect black Americans. I, I, I do believe that part of the movie but even if they weren't these are not laws that should exist in a free society if that's something that we're claiming to hold to a free society doesn't allow people for cussing in public they don't allow they don't arrest people for malicious mischief whatever that is Um, those are laws that are set up by authoritarian governments to keep their people under control which is not what america proposes or purports to be and i think you know, I, I think you, you have a similar perspective being generally a, a lowercase l libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, fewer laws is probably going to be better. Yeah. We don't need to outline every little behavior we don't like and outlaw it so we can throw people in prison for something we don't like. Now, I see plenty of people on Facebook and Twitter like, oh, they should throw them in jail. for that. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. And um, among some of the other groups I follow, you know, basically... Every law that's on the book should end with, or we will kill you. Because that's the truth, right? I mean, if you don't pay your taxes, oh, they're not going to kill you. Well, the IRS has a pretty uh, heavily armed wing of its department. They will Mm -hmm. kick down your door. And and if you resist, I mean, if you resist enough, uh, anything they consider lethal force, they'll kill you. Or they'll throw you in prison until you accede to their demands. So that's kind of, yes, laws come with... The threat of force. That's how it's always been. That's that's how you enforce them with the threat of of um, you know violence. It's basically how it works. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, while I can sympathize with with a lot of, of the different parts of this film, 
and with a lot of the, the, the big ideas. Obviously, there needs to be some major criminal justice reform, some major reform to our police departments and how we treat people. Um, the fact that Brock Turner, um, who was witnessed as raping someone, uh, an unconscious woman in an alley. Oh, is that uh, the Stanford off, kid? Yeah, got off with three months because yeah. of, um, you know, he's got a he's got a bright future, so we should let him off. And yet, um, George Floyd, well, you know, he did some bad things. Yeah, he, he may have. I've done some bad things, too. Doesn't mean he deserves to die. His crime, his alleged crime, what the police were called for, was a counterfeit $20 bill. Mm-hmm. So what's... What is the appropriate response to that? What is the appro- How do you deal with that appropriately? Now, this is where we can get into the whole defund the police thing that's going on right now, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. I'm curious about it. Um, I think there's some merit to the argument. But at the same time, what, what's, what's the uh, alternative? Now, we're recording this on Thursday. Okay, Seattle has mm-hmm. this autonomous zone. Um, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone that is covers now seven blocks, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they are they have their own police force in there already, and they all have semi-automatic rifles. Mm-hmm. Most police officers don't carry those around with them on their person. That's what the Autonomous Zone protesting police is using. Yeah, which is ironic. Yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> And they're shaking people down for money. They're extorting money from businesses. They, they're asking for fees. So so I guess here's where my criticism of this film, 13th, comes in. And the criticism is more, uh, I guess there's two parts. The first part is when I see a film like this, it says the 13th Amendment is racist. Uh, and then says the war on drugs is racist and the 1994 crime bill is racist. Um, I have to kind of appeal to my ideals and reason and that when I look at the text of the laws that are written, they're not racist. Mm -hmm. They are, in fact, not racist. Now, the 13th Amendment... Um, whoever it was written by, because there's actually a couple of amendments that went into it. One sounded great. They, they turned that down. The Senate turned it down. Um, and the southern states that voted on the amendment had basically approved governments in them by this point. Um, the text of it is not racist. And so I have to, again, appeal to my reason here and say... Um, was there malicious intent here or is it incompetence? And I'd say 90% of the time it's incompetence. Somebody wrote this law. Everyone looked at it and said, that makes sense. Somebody who's in prison should maybe do some work to pay off their debt. But nobody, yeah. they were incompetent and then they, nobody saw this can be easily misused. Mm-hmm. And so then states say, listen, it's 1867. I'm walking around my town. I see a bunch of, uh, freed slaves hanging out. They don't have jobs. I don't think they should be hanging out. We should make a law against that. Um, and that might be racist. So, I, you know, it, it's the, the premise and the thesis that comes with this kind of film is that the United States is inherently a racist nation and that 
all of our documents and founding, all of our founding documents, everything that are, we're built on is inherently racist. Mm-hmm. And I simply refute that because it's in the text. It's not. However, um, it has been used and misused by people who hold racist opinions. And people who have, some might have malicious intent, but most I'd say are just incompetent and don't see the unintended consequences of the laws that they're writing. We have that today. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the Patriot Act, everyone was thumbs up on it. Nobody realized the unintended consequences of that. Or the 1994 crime bill. Like, it sounds yeah. good to say you have to, listen, if you broke a law, you have, there's a minimum, you shouldn't get out early. Okay, for possession of three ounces of marijuana, really? Yeah. Is that worth it? We're going to ruin a life and then turn that person into a criminal. And I think you're making a couple of good points on this. Is I'm making the, a lot of good points. <laughs> you always make a lot of good points. And I, I, I tend to agree with you in the sense that I don't believe America is to its core a racist nation. However, I do think that... Um, a lot of the things that have been put into law in America have been done to make it more difficult for blacks or Hispanics or Asians. I mean, there's been laws that have constantly been put into place to make it more difficult for them to either come to this country or to succeed while they are in this country. In the 1920s, when they restricted immigration from China, that was one. And then you could even say during... Um, World well, we War One when we, we went to war with Germany. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, we and, have immigration quotas well, can... right now, and and I'd say, but outside of the the Japanese internment legislation, and outside of um, the laws banning immigration specifically from, but China, we haven't even been we haven't even been kind to other white people. Irish need not apply. Like it's not like okay. It's, that hits home. That hits <laughs> okay, home. Okay. Okay. So you see what I'm saying? Like. The Sacco and Vanzetti trial, it's always, we've always had this nativist element to us. And that anytime a new immigrant group comes here, we always collectively view them with some sort of suspicion. Like they're going to be the downfall of America well, or they're going to I mean, steal all their jobs. That's not a thing, but that's something that I think is, is specific to the United States in that we, we kind of said, hey, we have opportunity here. We have massive amounts of land. Sure. Uh, yeah, they're, in, they're inhabited, but we can deal with that. Right, I mean, we can always kick the natives out another few months. Yeah, which is its own right. That's a whole other issue. But but um, you know, so it's not like Germany for the past fifteen hundred years has has had its borders open to whoever wants to come in. It's just been German until recently, and we Mm -hmm. see that that kind of nativist stuff is is working its way through Europe because they're like, hold on, we're losing, but who we are. So I think that's that's. Kind of a specific American thing in that we have always been open or often. And there's always been xenophobes. You're right. There's been xenophobic trends all throughout the world for all time. However, the difference with African Americans is we brought them here without their consent. We made them our slaves. And then when we freed them, they said, yeah, but not really. You still can't vote. You still can't get a job unless you pay this extra fee. So by circumstance, we made it more difficult for them to achieve the American dream. Well, and I that, think I would say that's, that was States doing that. So the United States, once we passed, um, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th amendment, um, in terms of American law, they were full citizens. Now, sure. A lot of States 
a lot of states and a lot of people in a lot of states really weren't ready for that. And, and again, we talked about that when we talked about what if the South uh, didn't secede and there's no civil war. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this stuff um, doesn't have the kind of division we see it, it having now. I don't think we see – I feel like there'd be less of that kind of racist tension if the civil war hadn't been fought because the civil war hurt everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and, and afterwards it was like suddenly these people are equal citizens and – Right, they should have been, yeah. but you're, that was forced upon people who were, were they weren't, they weren't ready to see that, and that that's hard. It, it should be done, but it's hard for those people. Um, but I will so, say, these laws, whether or not they're racist, they're bad law. Oh, and I think that's something that you can look at, and and this is why I. I looking at these protests and all and all this stuff and while the black men are disproportionately jailed in America versus mm-hmm. white men or people from another race that is a, a real statistic and black men tend to die at the hands of police far more than than white men well okay however so, well, hold but on. the well, law itself right, is not a good law like yes. that's the problem and it's like whether or not it was set up to be specifically targeted for black men over white or otherwise they're not good laws i don't mandatory minimums are not good for american people regardless of your your racial background um and i think that's it, it where we need to reevaluate mandatory how we minimums, do justice mandatory minimums and three strike laws um three strike year out laws it takes power away from the person the boots on the ground the the judge to look exactly. at this and say, okay. And which was a good point they made in that film is that judges were no longer able to, to yeah, judge. Like, I have to sentence you to 10 years, even though I see all the circumstances around this and you mm-hmm. really don't deserve it and you're 18 or 17 and you're going to go to prison for 10 years, you're going to come out at 27 and not be ready for the world. Um, you're going to be ready to commit more crime because it's all you're going to learn over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are laws that are badly written uh, and we only get more every year. So I think that that's a big piece of it. Um, when it comes so here's the other point I wanted to kind of get to. You said uh, African-American men are, are incarcerated at a higher rate for the population than, than say, white men. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a true fact. But dying at the hands of police, and I, and I heard a, a statistic last week that was like uh, like nine... African-American men died at the hands of police last year as as opposed to like 18 or 19, 20 white men. Okay, so I, I heard that statistic and I said, okay, that's a good statistic because it kind of, it, it makes a point that says that that statistic tells you that, that the police are not necessarily being racist. Now, it does not include any police brutality or uh, excessive force or anything like that, but just with the deaths at the hand of, hands of police. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that. I'm like, well, that's a good fact. But if I present that to a, a present that fact to somebody who says to me, "Listen, when I'm driving home at night, uh, I'm a black man. I'm driving home at night, and I see the lights come on, and I get pulled over, and I'm fearful for my life." That's that's a truth. There are facts which might tell mm-hmm. you, "Hey, uh, please do not treat you, mistreat you more." But there's also a truth that I feel scared. I feel frightened when I have to deal with the police because I'm not sure what's going to happen and I've had bad run-ins in the point. past. Yeah, I, don't do bad things. 
Just stop with that. I, I, I'm tired of hearing, don't break the law. Yeah, we get it. Don't break the law. Sometimes, and listen, uh, I think everyone breaks laws. Everyone speeds. Mm-hmm. So stop with the don't break the law. Because if you know all the laws, then maybe you can avoid breaking any of them. Um, it's but, almost... Uh, <laughs> but what I was going to say is the fear is just as real. Yeah. That, that terror of thinking... This could happen to me. That's a real thing. And and I generally subscribe to facts don't care about your feeling statement. Generally. Yeah. But listen, feelings are, are a real thing um, in terms of how you feel about something. My son wakes up in the middle of the night and he's terrified, won't go back into his bed. Like, that's just as real mm-hmm. because we have to deal with it. And so that fear that the African-American community deals with in terms of police... Um, has to be dealt with. I don't know how to deal with it, um, but that's something that has to be addressed. Um, yeah. First of all, let's let's take bad laws off the books, and then let's start working on on how to do these things. Now, um, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I think the capital or the lowercase uppercase matters, and, and I heard a lot of the statements. Black Lives Matter. Um, that statement, I don't see anything wrong with that statement. Um, however, you know, I'm looking into a lot of this stuff, and this is where I get a little bit concerned with where things are at the moment, um, because the umbrella group to Black Lives Matter, which is just a, a website and a hashtag, there's an umbrella group that's, uh, you know, progress for Black Lives, mm-hmm. and they have a policy statement that has a bunch of sets of policies. That's where I would get really concerned because, you know, I'm watching 13th and I see some of the people coming up and, and Van Jones, generally, I like him, disagree with a lot of things. But Angela Davis comes up and and she was um, you know, kind of a radical. She stood mm-hmm. up to the system and I think that's really important. Um, but when we, we look at these people and some of the, the roots they have and what they – what they're advocating for and what um, some of these groups are advocating for. Listen, uh, anyone who disagrees with the statement that black lives matter is wrong because they do matter. And, you know, we know all lives matter, but we want to point out that they matter just as much. That's the point. But all lives can't matter until black lives matter, right. which is kind of the... Right. I, so, yeah, I, w- I was in a place a few years ago where I'm like, yeah, all lives matter. Come on. Uh, and I w- But the thing is, they, they do... And we, we have to get to a point where they feel like they matter, too. Mm-hmm. Um, now to the state, none of these lives matter. None of ours do. <laughs> no, I would agree. That's my hot take. <laughs> to the state, none of our lives matter. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> so, but like Angela Davis, she's a communist. She's a Marxist. She was part of the, the Communist Party yeah. up until like 2005. Probably so. And that, that's fine. Uh, now, I'll say this. Uh, communists... Um, Look at the Constitution. They look at a document that they want to tear down. Um, the official umbrella group that um, that is kind of in charge of Black Lives Matter. Um, they have a they have policy demands. Uh, they they're they're a, it's a movement for Black Lives, and they've got their policy platforms. And I'd recommend everyone go look at them. We can say Black Lives Matter, but you need to understand that when you get on board with some stuff, you're getting on board with. Um, a group that actually looks at um, the nuclear family as, as being antiquated and needs to go away, redistribution of wealth, not 
progressive income tax redistribution of wealth. I'm talking about mm-hmm. wealth tax, which is you have wealth that you've earned over your lifetime. We're going to start taxing that wealth away. Um, you know, like defunding the police, which something needs to happen with the police. Um, I don't think defunding it completely is, is the goal. Maybe demilitarizing the police would be a start. Um, cause when they roll up, um, with tanks and, and, you know, armored personnel carriers, that's, that's not the best look. And that's a, that's an escalation of violence. Um, I'm looking at the Seattle Autonomous Zone, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and if tanks roll up on that place, uh, it's going to look worse than Waco did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, just... But I think the, the point you're making in regards to Black Lives Matter and its parent group or organization is that while you can agree with the movement or this, the the goal of the, the term Black Lives Matter, you need to be aware that the the group behind the group, in a sense, may not have a typical America's best interest sort of thing at heart in the sense of traditional capitalism and freedom and not redistribution of wealth. In, instead, it would kind of be the antithesis of that. Right. Um, I, and and it, it, I think it comes from a place where they, they, they say what I disagree with the thesis on is that America and all its laws, Constitution, Declaration of Independence, um, is all based on the desire to hold slaves and keep slavery. And it's racist at its core. And um, and so uh, that would come from like the, the 1619 Project, which is when the first slave came to the United States. So since then, everything has been designed to keep slaves. The issue there is um, if when you say that, when you say it's, it's racist to its core, then you're saying we have to tear it down to nothing and then build on that. It's like, well, I'm looking at your policies. Um, we're 103 years after the Russian Revolution started. And that regime lasted for, what, 73 years? Mm. Cost 20 million lives? Um, you know, when I see them talking about having community councils come up in different cities to listen to its workers, those are called Soviets. And they started in 1917. And they targeted people and killed people. So, um, so we're a nation of laws. One authoritarian with a new... Authoritarian. Right. right. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just, this is, this is what our system is and our system is flawed. I don't think it's racist at its core. It's not a racist system, although it's been misused and incompetent people have, have, have used it and it's hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and here's our system something. is great because it, it makes progress. Well, it was set up to, to improve the whole, the whole framing of the constitution was set up that. We didn't write this perfectly. We didn't set up this country perfectly, but we did set it up to change and to get better. And it has changed and it has gotten better. And something that you brought up when you were talking about uh, this parent group of Black Lives Matter and how they kind of want to tear it all down and then rebuild it from the ground up. And I think something that's interesting is that uh, 
And on the opposite end, people who say, well, if you broke the law, you need to go to jail because that's what you do. You're a lawbreaker. You're a criminal. Right. And they both kind of ignore the idea of redemption and yeah. in that in that America as a nation can be redeemed. We can get better. That means we have to recognize our failures and we have to recognize our national sins for a lack of a better term. But we can get better. Tearing down the whole country is not going to redeem us. Conversely, um, a young black man who goes to jail for possession of a drug is not a criminal. He's someone who can be redeemed and he can become better. And I'm not saying he was bad in the first place. But that's that's the whole beauty of being human and especially a Christian. If, if you claim to be a Christian... Redemption's kind of the whole point. And I think individually we can be redeemed, but nationally and, and as a culture, we can be redeemed as well. And I think when you get too far in one extreme or the other, you forget about redemption and it's all about revenge or punishment or payback or, or something else. Oh, we'll call it law and order, though. Sure. We just want law and order. And it's like, well, yeah. you know, when you, when you, when you protest... And I, and I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing is consistency. Um, yeah. It, it, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm so glad people are protesting. Uh, there was a picture that, that came out, and I saw it in a couple different places, of some um, Black Panthers in uh, Washington, D.C. The, the American kind, not the Wakandan kind. And uh, <laughs> they had assault rifles. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. They had semi-automatic rifles. And they were carrying them. And they had their vests on. And um, they were marching. And I was like, first of all, that totally turns several narratives on its head, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on their heads. And, and I'm just like, good for them. They're exercising exactly. the first two amendments, the first two rights that were given. Um, go for it. Uh, I disagree with you on several of your, your tenets and what you want. Um, and, and uh, you know, when I see... You know, oh, these dangerous right wingers are are carrying rifles around town, and it's going to get violent. I'm like, they haven't they haven't committed any violence. Those people who are walking around with those rifles are, are protecting their homes or communities, businesses. Um, maybe some of them might be looking for a fight, but um, they're just, I think, just wanting to protect their community. And the same with the the people who are connect, uh, you know, at the the checkpoints of this. Capitol Hill autonomous, uh, zone. autonomous zone. I mean, they have the right to do that. They can. I think. I don't know what the police are doing. I don't know what their plan is. Um, but you know, the fact that instead of looking at everyone we see as um something, why why think the worst about somebody? Why not look at somebody that comes on and say, "I want to think the best about them." Let me find the thing that makes me want to find the best in them mm -hmm. and treat them as an individual. And, and, uh, I know that's, that's a dog whistle for, for white supremacy somehow, but, um, why can't we but just treat everyone as an individual? If in our declaration we state all men are created equal and we believe that, then we need to start treating all men and women as equal and, and stop, Stop uh, putting them in silos where it's like, oh, well, they're thugs or they're um, neocons or they're wingers or whatever 
whatever pejorative label you want to put on them to make you feel better about, I guess, your place and see them as an individual and see them as a human. Yeah. And then as an American, like that's the thing that bothers me. It's like, we're all American and yet we, we all, we somehow always, whether what side you're on or not, we always put um, the other group down as something less than, and I guess that, that bothers me. And, and um, I just, I don't know. It, well, the, the pejoratives a, and the and the labeling and the and the groupthink and and the the identity politics, um, they all serve to dehumanize individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, if all I think of you as, as is as an African American or as um, a white boy or as um, you know a, a liberal or you know whatever it is, you uh, a boogaloo boy. Um, all I'm doing is saying you're in this group and then I put value on different groups. And therefore, if you're in that group, then you have a value assigned to you based on what I think about that group. And therefore Mm -hmm. it can dehumanize you and, um, not to go this, this route, but that's what the Nazis did. And that's what the Soviets did. And they said, here's a group and this group is dangerous. They're a problem. Let's all start looking at them as a different group. And once we've done that for a few years, then we can find a reason to dehumanize them a little more, and then we can actually go in. And if you're the kulaks in the Soviet Union, we can drive you out and send you to Siberia and kill you. If you're the Jews in Germany and Poland during World War II, we can round you up and kill you. Put you in the camps. Um, if you're Japanese American during World War II, we can put you into, into internment camps. All of this stuff. And it starts with, here's an other, here's someone who's different. We're going to look at them not as individuals, but as a group. And that kind of um, group identity politics, um, it just destroys individuals. And mm-hmm. our Constitution, our Bill of Rights is set up when we look at we look at individuals. We look at people who have rights. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, and again, come back it to when special. I look at Western civilization, not that it came from white people, but that what Western civilization did, it said, um, here are individuals. They have reason and power, and they are—they're uh, divine in their own way, and that's why individuals are the basis for our laws and cultures. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we tear that down, then all we end up with is tribes again, yeah. and tribes that want to kill each other based on whatever differences we want to find. So, sure. um, I, I like the movie. I think it's very compelling. I think it's an important watch. Um, and, uh, you know, except for a couple of specific scenes, that was just like that that's obviously pushing it a little far in terms of how they're, they're portraying people and framing people. Um, I enjoyed it and, and it's something that I think everyone should watch. So they understand the history of this, this group of people that was in our country, um, uh, and what they've endured in many circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. so I recommend it, but, um, you know, look, read read you got to take time to read about things and understand them before you uh say i'm in on this yeah no i i agree i mean i enjoyed it i thought it was very um compelling and it provides a narrative that i'm not really familiar with i'm never going to say there's any such thing as a true documentary i don't think those truly exist um any documentary right. 
Tyrion has a story that they're t- trying to tell yeah. her. And mm-hmm. I think she mm-hmm. had a story, but it was a compelling story. And it was a story that wasn't, it wasn't fanciful. It wasn't made out of thin air. It was real. Like these, for the most part, these things happened. Now you can say, it, it's the, I it's disagree only, with this point or I disagree yeah. with where they're going with it. But for it's me to, the motives for me, like to say yeah. that this was all from a racist motive, I, I can't say that's 100% true. I'd say mm-hmm. more so out of incompetence and unwillingness to to understand their fellow citizens. And that's what African-Americans were after 1865. Um, and maybe ignorance too. But that's something that every nation has to work through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all wish they worked through quicker. But these things take time. And, and uh, there's so much here that I don't think we got to today. But Yeah. Yeah. We stopped talking about the movie 20 minutes ago, um, but it was, uh, I think a good movie or a good film is supposed to spur this kind of discussion. And in that case, this thing wildly succeeded. Yeah. Um, it helped me reevaluate my own paradigm, my own worldview, which I think is important for me to do because if I'm not checking myself, if I'm not judging my own beliefs and my own Really? Values. Mine is 100% on. I haven't had a problem I know. with mine. <laughs> well, and that's why I like being your friend is because <laughs> I, I can always rank myself against what you say and then go, okay, sense. well, clearly I'm wrong because Eric said something different. But <laughs> I, yeah, think, I, I, I think just, any good movie can make you like this, a, a serious documentary can make you look and go, well, I hadn't thought of it that way before. And if it does that, then I think that's a, that's a success. Yeah, maybe I can change my, my view and maybe I can look at how I can see if there are other solutions to this problem. And I think that's what 2020 has been for a lot of people is mm-hmm. uh, here's what I understood before and here's this new circumstance. Um, what am I learning about myself and my community, um, how we relate and all those things. And and, and this movie um, gave me some good information that I hadn't had before and, and it, it's good to understand the roots of a lot of these things and how they played out over the course of 160 years and still do. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so yeah, that was the, history goes to the movies. Yeah. And we saw 13th, uh, really good film. So that's it. And, uh, we'll uh, see you next time.